The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. One of the favorite uh, songs in Garden Hill last summer, and uh, David and Emily were there, and, uh, and they're going back as a father-daughter team as well this summer. Amen. If you're uh, new among us to, tonight, uh, today or, or recently, uh, we like to go through books of the Bible in our church, and right now, for the last few months, we've been going through the book of Galatians, and we're in chapter 6 today, but um, last Sunday we were in chapter 5 at the end of the chapter, and we were talking about uh, how Paul is describing that in order to overcome our sin and our weaknesses and so on, that we need to learn how to live in the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit's uh, power invade our lives so that the freedom that Jesus Christ purchased for us at the cross is actually experienced in our lives. We don't do that in ourselves. We do that because of His presence in our lives. And at the end of Galatians chapter 5, we we read about the, the list of sins that Paul does there, has there in chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. And, and I drew your attention to the fact that whenever these sin lists are in the New Testament, sexual sins always are listed first. And so uh, we, we took more time last Sunday to talk about the three words used for sexual sin in that text. And I want to just pause for a bit of a, a moment of a clarification uh, we have felt that as leadership that, that uh, sexual sin is something that, that the world around us is, is uh, experiencing, that the whole issues around gender and sexuality are so very important to all of us, and we get this message that comes to, through various media to us, but we as the body of Christ that believe in the Scriptures that God has given us, we don't address it very often. And so, when it comes up in the Scripture that we're going through, we felt the need to pause and to focus more on that than on some of the other sins that are listed. So, I say that just simply to say again this morning, if you hear that that's the main emphasis of this morning, we're not suggesting that other sins are unimportant. And in fact, the very things that God's Word says about how to deal with sexual sin is how we deal with any sin. But this morning, again, you might hear much more emphasis on that. It's because sexual sin has such a shame factor that comes along with it. It's such a secretive thing, and it's, it's such a thing that brings shame, that debilitates people. Many, many people are suffering in, in a wrestling privately, feeling that they're they're, they're the only ones feeling that they'll never get out of this. They're trapped. And today, God's Word addresses some of that. I told you last week that the four pastors of our church, along with Steve Morris, are going through a study called the Conquer Series. It's addressing the battle plan for sexual purity, and it's aimed at men. I'm not suggesting, or we're not suggesting, that women don't face the same kinds of sexual pressures and so on and sins. But uh, it certainly is more of a man problem, uh, even though pornography is growing as well in its use among women, even in the church. 
And so I told you last week that we're going through this because this coming fall, we would like to offer this course to the men of our church or any man that is trapped in this kind of sexual sin. And um, so I'm going to be speaking more about that later. I also told you last week that today we will be showing you a video, and I'm going to do that just in a minute. It's by Dr. Ted Roberts and his wife, Diane, who are the founders of Pure Desire Ministries, and they're going to be talking a little bit about a uh, conversation about marriages and what marriages are under attack, what, what are the forces that are against marriages. And so have a listen to this video. It is part of the sermon. It's 13 minutes long. It's part of the sermon, so rest assured it's not going to be no, too long this morning. So have a listen. The only place you see the image of God on this planet is in the covenant relationship between a husband and wife. That's why hell hates it with such passion. We're very self-focused and marriage really grows you up, especially Ephesians chapter 5 where it says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That does not come natural to men. They want respect and that's why in Ephesians 5 it also says to wives, respect your husband. That's not something I naturally do. So here God is asking us to do something that does not come natural to us. It requires the supernatural. For me to respect Ted the way he needs that respect, um, I have to uh, deal with my self-focus and try to meet his needs and vice versa. The selfishness in marriage is really hard to communicate to a young man when you're doing premarital counseling. One guy, he was a brilliant guy, Harvard-educated guy, and uh, I told him, I said, marriage is going to hurt. And he went, yeah, right. About six months later, he's knocking on my front door, and he's going, Dr. Roberts. And I said, what? This woman, she's killing me. And I said, well, I told you she'd do that. And then he puffed his chest out, and he said, but I'm head of the house. And I said, do you know what that means? And he goes, no. It means you're first to the cross. When God grabs the hammers and nails, and he comes looking for you, first of all. Marriage is to grow us up. And third is to heal us. You marry your patient and you marry your healer. Uh, what draws you together initially when you're dating is the very thing that'll drive you nuts after your marriage for a while. And those very irritant points, that's where God wants to bring his healing grace to bear because it provokes your selfishness, brings up your family of origin history issues, and brings about a conflict that only can happen when you're very close to each other as husband and wife. It is in the husband-wife relationship that our deepest buttons get pushed. Uh, sexual imp impurity, therefore, is devastating to a marriage because it violates the very image of God in the relationship. Because sexual uh, intercourse is not just physical, it is deeply spiritual and it's deeply emotional. So it's like taking your fingers and marring the image of God. That's what hell loves to do. If he can bring sexual bondage into a marriage relationship, then he destroys that witness that it has in the spirit. It just tears the marriage apart. And marriage has to be built on trust. And when there's sexual impurity, sexual things happening outside of that marriage relationship, then uh, there's lies, there's betrayal, and you cannot build a marriage unless you have a trusting relationship with each other and with God. For most men, when I'm counseling them and they're caught in sexual bondage, they, um, the male mind has a, a real problem. You know, the longer I counsel, the more I become a female chauvinist. Thank you, honey. Yeah, 
<laughs> because uh, the female mind is much more relational. The male can say, you know, I really love you and I'm involved in pornography and they don't have anything to do with each other. For the female, she catches a spiritual sense of the relationship that just tears her apart, absolutely destroys her heart, tears her apart, to say the least. Well, the reason that marriages don't make it in, uh, in the long run when you're dealing with sexual bondage is, first of all, three basic reasons. Number one is there is secrecy that's going on. When an individual who loves Christ, a guy who loves Christ, and he's involved in pornography or flirtation activity with other women or he's involved in affairs, he has a deep sense of shame so that it creates a, a, a compartmentalization in his brain where he keeps his relationship with his wife over here and pornography over here and he lives in a duplicity. And you're only as sick as your secrets. So when a man's got a secret in his soul, it just destroys the ability, as Diane pointed out, to have trust and it tears apart the relationship from the foundation on the inside out. So it's secrecy is first of all. And then second of all is the sense of family of origin issues not being dealt with. A big fancy psychobabble term, family of origin issues, what I mean is the early years of your life, by six years of age, your basic software is downloaded in your brain. How you see your world, how you process your world, how you deal with pain. Sexual bondage is about the way you deal with pain. It really doesn't ultimately have much to do with sex. Sex is just the adrenaline rush and the dopamine rush that the guy gets, which he's using to medicate his pain. So he learns to use sex to medicate his pain. He's never dealt with those things. About 85% of the guys that I've dealt with in the last 20 years, what you're dealing with is a deep father wound. And uh, family of origin issues hits the wife too because she has brought in ways of coping into the marriage and sometimes the reason a marriage doesn't make it is she sees it as only his problem, which she is not responsible for the sexual addiction part or the sexual bondage, but um, she has brought ways of coping into the marriage where they have learned a really unhealthy dance. Um, I remember when I first realized the things that I had brought into our marriage where uh, I started thinking about the fact that every man I dated had addictive behavior, including Ted, the man I married. And I thought, why was that true? And some of my family of origin issues were that um, I needed to be needed. I wanted to be loved. And if I could help somebody or fix somebody, then that would be the way I would gain love, which is really sick. But I she didn't still understand tries to that. Fix me every now and oh, then. do I? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, each of us bring the, into the marriage some things that we have to deal with, and although the women aren't struggling with the same thing the men are, it's added to the unhealthy dance that they've learned. We like to call it the tango, tango from, from hell. hell. And yeah. what we want to do is see them do the waltz from, from heaven. heaven. Yeah. Foundationally, though, the reason why the marriage doesn't make it is those two previous statements that we made. But ultimately, is they don't understand what intimacy is about. Mm -hmm. Intimacy is not being comfortable and close. Intimacy is being uncomfortably close. It's allowing someone else to look down on your soul, warts and all. And for an addict, that's impossible. He can't be intimate. He can have intercourse, but he can't be close because he can't he can't handle that kind of view within, because deep within him there's a sense of worthlessness, of shame. And a woman looking into a soul just triggers that. Columbia University did a study, 40% of uh, the time where guys visit high-priced prostitutes, 
Nothing sexual takes place. She just makes him feel like a king for a day. Mm. Prostitutes know how to do that. He's dealing, she's stroking his wounded area in his life by giving him false sense of security. Yeah, on the, on the opposite side, how can a marriage really make it? Nowadays, uh, well, as I've shared before, 60 to 70% of guys sitting in the church on the weekend service are sexual addicts. Well, the first step is acknowledging that you're struggling. And the average Christian guy will think, well, if I just try harder, it'll go away. Uh, and they'll do a binge purge cycle where they'll act out and repent, say I'll never do it again, go for a long period of time and act out again. The first step is acknowledging you've got a problem. Then, uh, the way, here's the real challenge, is finding a place where you can get some real answers. The answers the church give pretty much do not work across the board. Uh, I'm not saying Pure Desire is the only ministry out there that does, but you need to find a ministry like Pure Desire that gives you biblical truths that have clinical steel within them that'll help you deal with the deep woundedness and the trauma in your life. And the final issue is really having a decision to work together as husband and wife, being honest. Now the wife's gonna have to have a lot of support in this process because once she finds the truth, and normally he shares a little bit and a little bit more, and then she gets the full load and she's devastated. And he's going, I've never felt so better in my life, I've never been so honest she's dying. So she's going to have to have support as well. That's why a Betrayal and Beyond group is absolutely foundational for her. And once each of them go through those groups, and sometimes they come back as leaders, mm -hmm. uh, there's something about teaching something that you've processed. Many times the women uh, who have gone through it, the first time they're so numb, it's really hard to process. So after they've both done their separate healings and groups, we recommend the book, Sexy Christians, which we wrote, to help them begin to talk about intimacy and what does that mean emotionally, mm -hmm. relationally, sexually. Yeah, and the final piece is paying it forward, is making sure that you get in a ministry that helps other men and women who are struggling with these issues, guys with guys and gals with gals. Because it is in giving back and you see other people being healed that you really experience healing in yourself. And that's when you learn the truth, is when you're teaching someone else. Yeah. You can hear it and experience it, but when you start sharing with someone else, all of a sudden the light bulbs start going on. You go, wow, I really understand it in depth. If those, if those steps are taken, any marriage can turn around. We've seen clients come in and sit in our office and I, I'm quietly saying to myself, there's no way they can make it. And we see God's hand fall and move and change the whole environment. They walk out in love with each other. That's just, that's worth it. And some, some couples do need uh, counseling beyond the groups. Right. Yeah, just a, a normal family counselor will not be able to help you with this. Because sexual addiction is the toughest addiction to deal with by far. I lost count on a number of guys who sit in my office and said, you know, kicking alcohol, kicking cocaine, kicking smoking was easy compared to this. It's the deepest addiction of all. Paying it forward by that I meant helping other people in small groups. It is in community that we were wounded, and it is in community that we're healed. And being someone who's helping that community discover the healing grace of God foundationally changes the way you view yourself and you view your world. Well, we like to pray our prayer over those of you mm -hmm. that are watching this DVD, and we want to pray God's best yeah. for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we just mm. thank you uh, for those that are investing time to watch this series and investing time not only in their individual uh, 
desire to change, but also wanting to see health flow through their family. And for every woman, especially those that may be struggling with um, where their husband's at right now, I speak hope. Lord, I, th I thank you that anything is possible and that at the point of the deepest need is the place that you wanna do your next miracle. So right now, Lord, I speak hope into uh, these marriages and for healthy marriages, I pray you'd strengthen them. Mm -hmm. And Lord, that they would see that uh, because of their healthy marriage, it's a challenge to them to help others. Mm -hmm. Father, for every man who's watching this video, I pray that there would be a total transparency taking place in their life. There would be nothing hidden. They would share with their wife in an appropriate manner at the right time, everything. And then they would get free from that shame, that grip of shame that just grabs their soul and pulls them back down to that same behavior. And then Lord, let there come the falling presence of God, the Holy Spirit into their soul that would ignite their heart and would give them a new passion and a new compassion for their wife. Because how we treat our wives, Lord, is how we really treat you. We can't cut it any other way. And then, Lord, take this couple together and use them as a major threat against hell. Let them have the joy of taking sweet revenge against the enemy for the years that he crippled and hassled and shamed them. And, Lord, bring about couple after couple after couple after couple coming to health and wholeness that ignite a fire that would release a revival in the church. There'd be men and women standing up with passion and purity that would proclaim the goodness and the grace of God. Lord, the church started in one of the most sexually driven cultures in all of human history, and it rose up with such purity and such passion, it devastated hell. Mm -hmm. Do it again, Lord, do it again, and start in America, have mercy on us. God, we don't deserve anything but your judgment, but Lord, we cry out for your grace and your mercy. Bring revival, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So we want to speak hope into the marriages of our church family. We want to speak hope into individuals who are in bondage or in struggles facing sin. And uh, we've, we've all spent enough time in the shadows, and uh, we just pray that God the Spirit will lead us in the coming year to address uh, some of these things. If you were to go on Conquer Series like they suggested in the video, you would not find our church registered there. But you can go on our webpage now and also on our Facebook page. And you will find on our Facebook page and webpage that you can find a link there. You can say it says register online here. Anything that has to do with our programming, you can say go to register online and you'll find there an opportunity for you and to register this is saying, I'm interested. You're not signing up for the group yet in, that'll be starting in September. You're just saying, I'm interested. And uh, we'll, we'll be contacting you and talking about it. So may the Lord lead us as we continue in this. Now let's turn in our Bibles now to Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians uh, chapter 5, right at the end of the chapter, we're just going to tag on a couple of verses where Paul is talking about being walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit and living in the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit, and, and uh, we're going to continue on. Because that means, if it means anything, it means relationship. It means relationship with God, and it means relationship with each other. Just like Ted Roberts said, we were wounded in community, and we will be healed in community. 
You need to unpack the first half and the second half of that equation. You were wounded in community. You will be healed in community. It's in relationship that God really works out his miracles in our lives. And yet the enemy would love us to go alone and go secret and go private and never bring it into the light. We will never see victory in those places. Let's take a look at Scripture in Galatians chapter 5. Would you stand with me if you're able to? And I'll read the Word of God. Galatians 5, beginning with verse 25 to chapter 6, verse 5. It says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. May God bless his word. You may be seated. You know, I could never figure out the point of a live mousetrap. I mean, you know that little box thing that you buy at Canadian Tire and, and you put it in a corner somewhere and you, it's got something attractive inside and the mouse runs in and then the trap door closes so he can't get out. And uh, then you're supposed to, I guess, take it outside and, and you somehow put it down and, and open it up. For what? So he can run back in the house. Or no, for, for the sake of maybe you open it and your friend has a shovel and before he runs up your leg, you're supposed to kill him. I, I've never understood the point of those things. I mean, when I set a mouse trap, I am interested, I am interested in killing a dirty little rodent that makes a mess. Now, when the enemy, Satan, sets traps, we're told by Jesus that he has come for one purpose. He has come to rob, kill, and destroy. That's three purposes, I guess. He has come to rob, kill, and destroy. When the enemy sets traps for us, sinful traps, he is looking to bring us down. And uh, sometimes in our, in our path, we, we step off of the path, and we step into one of the traps that the enemy has set for us. And uh, if we allow it, it'll get a foothold in our lives. And the list of sins that we studied last week, from sexual immorality to lust to jealousy, envy, dissensions, divisions, drunkenness, you can go on and on. It's not an exhaustive list. There are many vices that can be traps that we step into. And if we are wise, we will know that God has given us a way of, of not stepping in traps, but also a way of getting out of traps if we've ever been caught in one of these traps. I'd like to share three things with you this morning. And the first thing is the reality of restoration. And the reality is that we will all get caught in a trap of sin at some point during our lives where we will need the assistance of others to restore us back to God. That's the reality of restoration that I speak of. Now, it's fishing season that is coming upon us, and I love when I'm out fishing, I just get thinking about the fish that are 20 feet below the boat. 
And I think to myself that, that there they are sitting around the bottom of the lake and, and all of a sudden this juicy, succulent worm goes down and just lands right amid, among them. And it gives off this succulent smell that fish love. And it's wiggling alluringly so that they're attracted to this thing. Now, as they, as they sit around looking at it, some of the old fish, of course, have been caught once or twice and lived to tell about it. And they're just saying, stay away from that thing. But then a little tiny jackfish with all of the spike and vigor, he grabs onto that thing. And all of a sudden, a force greater than him is dragging him in a way that he does not want to go. And even though all of his friends are swimming around him and encouraging him, come on, come on, he gets dragged up to the surface by this force and disappears. He's gone. Well, you know, all, not all fish get caught in a hook or in a net, but all Christians, all Christians will one day or another be caught in one of the traps that Satan sets that has the appeal toward our, our sinfulness, the flesh, and we will get caught. Now, sometimes when we get caught, we are able in our own strength and ability through the Spirit of God within us to be able to free ourselves. That's not what Galatians 6 is talking about, though. Galatians 6 is talking about those times when we are caught in sin, and you know and I know we are not able in our own power and strength, even knowing God's power within us, we are not in ourselves able to free ourselves. Paul is talking about being caught in sin that we feel helpless in. It becomes an obsession. It becomes an addiction. You've tried time and time again to escape from it, but its barbed hooks have you locked up and you get snagged again and again. That's the experience that Paul's referring to in chapter 6. And we're not meant to do this alone when we get there. We're not meant to do it alone. Now, the word caught in verse 1 of Galatians 6, the word caught means literally to take hold of beforehand. It means pro-lambano. Pro is beforehand, to catch something beforehand. The idea of this word is that before you even fight, you are already done. You've already lost the battle. You have been caught beforehand. You will not win this alone. That's what the word caught here the word for transgression, parapipto, is a side slip. You are on this path, walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, and you sidestepped. You got off of the path of righteousness. You got off of the sin-killing path, and you got on to a path that started to make friends with sin. You started to manage sin, not kill sin. You started to think, well, it's not that bad. And you began to step out of step with the Spirit and into step with the flesh. That's what the word transgression has to do with. Now, believe it or not, the highest, the highest, op the biggest opposition that you face in this battle against the flesh, against sin, is not the devil. You might be surprised to hear that. He's not your greatest enemy, actually. It's not even the sin. Call it what you want, a sexual sin, a, a sin of the tongue. The biggest enemy that you have, the biggest opposition that you will face is you. 
It's your pride. And if you've lived long enough, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not the enemy that you, the devil made me do it. It is not the sin in its grip, though that can be so strong. It is your own pride and the ability to deceive yourself that you can beat this thing on your own. It's not that bad. I don't have to confess it. I don't have to bring it into the light to anybody. You don't need someone else. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The warnings in Scripture against pride and the ability to self-deceive are, are many and varied. And the fact is, is that we will not escape if we will not put down our pride. Pride can surface in two ways, according to the Scriptures. You'll notice in verse 26, let us not become conceited. Why does Paul, why does Paul put that there in the midst of talking about sins? And then he adds two words, and the conceited word is vainglory, empty glorying. Conceited is thinking something that's not true about yourself. And then he adds two words, provoking one another and envying one another. Actually, the interesting thing is that the provoking one another comes from those who think they're superior, and the envying one another comes from those who think they're inferior, and conceit and pride is feeding both the superior ones and the inferior ones. Let me read to you what Timothy Keller says about those two words. Provoking is the stance of someone who is sure of his or her superiority looking down on someone perceived to be weaker in an area of sin. And envying is the stance of someone who is conscious of inferiority looking up at someone who they feel is above them in an area of sin. Do you see the comparativeness that goes on? Do you see that you've probably done this in some area of your own Christian walk or life? You, would, you, you compare yourself to someone and you say, well, I'm doing better than he is. Or you could look at someone and say, well, he must be way ahead of me on that, on that front. What's going on is this comparative thing. Where is it rooted? Both the superiority and the inferiority is rooted in conceit. It's rooted in pride. Self-absorption. Satan's strategy, lock everybody up, divide and conquer. Lock everybody up to shame, divide and conquer. And yet, guess where we fellowship best? We fellowship best in the areas of our weakness. And so the main reason someone who is caught in sin will not be and is not open to help is because of spiritual blindness and pride. Let's move on to the second thing and the goal of our restoration. Why do we bear one another's burdens? Why do we help someone who is caught in sin? The goal has to be to restore them to life in the Spirit. That's the goal. They were keeping in step with the Spirit, and then something happened, and they got caught in a trap, and the goal is to restore them to fellowship with Christ and His family and so on, and get back in step with the Spirit. And he says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is Galatians, uh, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. You just love one another. 
That's the law of Christ, bearing one another's burdens. Being in the trenches with each other, loving one another, that's what it's about. Someone described to me this past week that the truth of, of God is like the skeleton, the skeletal structures of our body. That's the truth. But who likes hugging skeletons? You know, nobody likes hugging skeletons. And the love factor of the body of Christ is the flesh and muscle and skin. And that's what makes a hug feel better than a skeleton. And we need both the truth of God and the love of God in the body of Christ. If we only had love and no truth, what would the body look like if there was flesh and, and blood but no skeleton? It would be a blob on the floor. And so we need both the truth and love. And so when we call, are called upon to bear one another's burdens and that the law is love, it is not suggesting that we just accept whatever someone wants regardless of what goal it has. It is not love to let someone free fall into sin. It is not love to let someone do something to themselves and choose a course of action that is going to end up in judgment and condemnation. Remember, this is talking about the family of God. I am not talking about how you relate to unbelievers. You do not go to an unbeliever who does not have the same code book. They've not adopted this. They've not received Christ into their lives. You do not go to them like you go to a brother or sister in Christ. This, Galatians 6, is talking about your brother or sister in Christ who is caught in sin. And I, the reason I say that the goal must be restoration to get back walking in the Spirit is because we can substitute a lot of lesser goals. Sometimes the temptation is to substitute that the goal is just to keep the relationship open. We've got to just keep the lines of communication open. Well, I agree, that's a good idea sometimes. Although the Scriptures sometimes say, no, that's not a good idea. I recognize this is a complicated issue that whenever I preach up here, my concern is that the application that's happening in your mind and in your life might not, might not fit with what you're hearing me say. For example, it is very complicated when it is a child that you believe has professed to be faith, faith in Christ at a young age, and then at an older age, they, they veer off into a sinful, clearly rebellious pattern of life. I'm not counseling you in the pulpit on how you do that. You need to go to God and say, God, what do we do? How do we relate to this child of ours? And so the goal has to be restoration. Do not hear me, please, at all speaking in this moment in a legalistic and judgmental way. Bearing one another, another's burdens and thus fulfilling the law of Christ, which is the law of love, has to be the overriding message of how we go to someone who is caught in sin. The attitude of someone sinning makes all the difference, of course. Paul is not addressing church discipline here. He is addressing a professing Christian who is walked and caught in sin, and they can't escape. Verse 1 says, if anyone is caught in any transgression. He is not saying, please hear me on this, he is not saying if you catch someone sinning. Like the woman caught in adultery. That's not what Galatians 6.1 is saying. Galatians 6.1 is saying the sin is caught them, not you. 
The Christian hasn't caught them. The sin has caught them, gripped them, tied them down. They need to be set free. That's what Galatians 6.1 is saying. I'm not suggesting that it sometimes doesn't happen in the reverse order. I, I, I get it. I have talked to couples where a wife has caught her husband looking at pornography. I've talked to a police officer here in the city who was in, involved in the child pornography crime unit. And he has witnessed people being apprehended who thanked the police officers for catching him. Why? Because it had overcome him. It had ruled him. He had become a slave, and he could not set himself free. Sometimes we catch each other in those things. But boy, this is mainly talking about being caught by the sin and needing to invite someone else in to help, help me. I can't get free of this. That's what Galatians 6, 1 is all about. Now, by now, somebody must be asking themselves, why am I wearing a backpack? Has that crossed anybody's mind? <laughs> well, did you notice the apparent contradiction in chapter 6? That in verse 2, we are told to bear one another's burdens, and in verse 5, we are told that each one of us has to carry our own load. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like it's a contradiction? Well, it's not when you understand the words that are being used by Paul in the Greek text. Because in verse 2, the word for carrying each other's burdens is a word that refers to an excessive weight, a weight that no mule could carry, a weight that was excessive, and no one person can carry that burden of sin alone. They need help to get out from underneath that burden. But in verse 5, the word that is used for a person's load He's a backpack. It's, it's saying everyone should learn how to carry their own backpack. Everybody has to learn how to go through life. Every Christian should be mature enough to walk in the Spirit, to learn how to stay closely connected, abiding in Christ, and learn that the load that's going to come upon you, temptations and sin every day, trials that come, opposition from the world, all the things that are happening, just learn to keep your backpack on, walk in the Spirit. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You can find rest for your souls. Learn to carry your own backpack. But every so often, it's not a backpack we're carrying. It's an excessive load. It's a weight that we cannot bear. We've been caught in sin. It's, it's, it's more than we can do to get out of it. Let's go on to the third point, the spirit of restoration. We adopt the mind and the means of the spirit in our method. Paul is teaching here that it's not just what we do, that we actually seek to restore someone that's caught in sin, but he's really focused on how we do that. How we do that is as important of that we do it. And he says it three things about the how we do it. First of all, he says, you who are spiritual do it. Okay, so only the spiritual ones this morning can do this thing, okay? Put up your hand if you're spiritual. No, don't, don't do that. Okay, what does it mean? It says, the, the word is literally... The word is literally a meaning of the word spiritual ones. The spiritual ones should do this. Does that mean you're perfect? No. But it means that you are at the time when you're coming alongside of someone else in their sin, you are walking in the Spirit. You got your own backpack. You're walking it out with God. 
Jesus warned us in Matthew 7, don't go and start to point out the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log in yours, right? So so the, the danger of this text is that we'll come out of it thinking, well, I guess nobody can ever talk to anybody else about their sin because we're not super perfect. That's not what's needed here. Paul is just saying that you, you just need to walk in humility, recognize, but keep it in the Spirit, and when you're in that time, you can, you can certainly be used by God to help someone else. That's first. You are spiritual. Secondly, do it in the spirit of gentleness. Now, do you notice in your Bible that the Spirit is not capitalized? I referred to this last week where it was capitalized. Why isn't it capitalized here? Because the translators decided the same word, pneuma, the same word, in this ca- in case, the translator said, this isn't the Holy Spirit. This isn't God's Spirit, big S. This is the human spirit, little s. Now, you can agree or disagree with the translator. And the reason I say that is because the spirit that they're referring to is the spirit of gentleness. And guess what gentleness is? Fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> so you, if you want to put a big S on that in your Bible... God will not condemn you. He might say, I agree with you. Because it's a fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. Same word. And we're going to be looking at all nine fruit of the Spirit this summer as we go Sunday by Sunday through each piece of fruit. But it's in the spirit of gentleness. I don't know about you, but when I have some of the hardest things I've ever done is I've had to humble myself and go to a brother or two and say, I've sinned. I'm caught. I need help. I'm not doing well in this area. I want someone with gentleness. Right? I want someone with a heart of mercy. I don't want someone with a critical, condemning, truth-oriented only, no love kind of attitude. I want someone that's going to come alongside of me and say, I get it. And I, you know, I'm with you. I'm going to be here for you. Gentleness. And then thirdly, the way we do this is watch yourself, Paul says, lest you be tempted. Watch yourself. This is important to recognize. I don't think, I could be wrong, I don't think Paul is saying watch yourself because if you're not careful, you'll fall into the same trap that there you're helping them get out of. That might be what Paul is saying. I think mainly what Paul is saying here in the context is watch yourself because you're going to get conceited. You're going to think you're way better because you're helping someone else. Watch yourself because you're going to start boasting in yourself and that's what happens, that, that pride comes before the fall. And so in all of this, I cannot underline enough that one of the problems with this kind of sermon is that we start becoming sin-obsessed, right? Instead of Christ-possessed and, and obsessed. And, and that's the danger. You come out of this thinking, oh, my sin, my sin. No, no, no. Jesus Christ is greater than your sin. And I want to speak hope just like Ted and Diane prayed it into us today. I want to speak hope into your life regardless of where you're struggling and how you're struggling. I want to speak hope. You know, yesterday when we were, uh, several of us were in the children's ministry area and we had a, a police officer giving us teaching on live shooter events, how, how we would respond in the event of a live shooter entering our building. And the three words that she gave us were run, hide, fight, in that order. Run, 
hide, fight. You know, that's not a bad response to when sin comes attacking us. Run. It says, flee the evil desires of youth, Paul says. Flee, run. Run from that sin. And, and if, you, if you can't run far and far and hard enough, then, then hide. Where do you hide? Hide in Christ. Just, just take refuge in God and take his word and say, God, you've said I'm your child. God, you've said that, that I'm, I'm more than a conqueror through you who loves me, Lord, and you hide in Christ. And then you take up all that armament and you fight if you have to. You fight. But you don't fight against the sin. You fight to keep yourself in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. You let Jesus deal with that fight against sin. And so may the Lord help us. You know, in, in the movie Cool Runnings, Jamaican bobsled team, I'm sure you've seen it. John Candy's the coach, and he says to one of the bobsled member team members, he says, winning a gold medal is a wonderful thing, but if you are not enough without it, you will not be enough with it. I would say to you who are caught or stuck in sin this morning, you might experience some failure on some days and you might experience victory on other days. But the danger is that if you are the primary reference point, you will not be enough. If your righteousness is here on earth and not in heaven where Jesus Christ is seated, if, if the evaluation of God the Father is based on your performance one day, in shame or joy, whichever way it goes, if you think that you're going to be sufficient for the task, the problem is that your sense of self and your sense of not being enough is not meant to be achieved in your own strength. It's meant to be received. It's meant to be received from God. And any day of the week, any moment of the day, you can go to God and say, God, I want to receive because I'm, I'm weak, I'm desperate, I'm poor, I cannot beat this thing. Receive from God. Receive from another brother or sister. You have not made available to yourself all of the resources that God has for you. And this morning, I want to encourage you in that way. Can I pray for you as the worship team comes? And let's, um, let's bring ourselves to God right now in this moment. God, our Father, we thank you for your word. And it just... Lord, I just uh, stand, Lord, ahead of this congregation this morning as one who is as much in need of this teaching as anyone else, one who has walked in this journey, has been on the path, has fallen off the, the path, has ca been caught in sin, and have, has, has, had, has had brothers in Christ help me. God, I thank you for your grace and the mercy that you, uh, you pour out on us in the body of Christ. And I pray this morning that everyone in this room will have someone in their lives that they can trust, someone that they can go to, that, Lord, you'll find within our hearts a correction or a willingness to be corrected, a spirit of humility. Lord, I pray that, that you'd be able to examine every area of our lives and that you'd lead us out of this trap into to freedom in Christ. For it is for freedom we know that Jesus Christ has set us free. Help us in your name, Lord. Amen.